Romance in video games is not necessarily a new idea, and with better technology, developers are able to better create plausible emotional plot lines in games based around romance, whether it's part of the main story or something that you create via interactions as the player character, a la Mass Effect or Dragon Age. On this episode, just in time for Valentine's Day, we take a look at some of the more memorable romantic storylines in video games and take a look at the idea as a whole, next on Downloadable Content. Welcome to Downloadable Content. I'm Brian, and with me we have Ronnie. Hi. And we have Deja once again, two in a row for you. Loving you, it's easy because you're beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, and a like, musical like, interlude like at that. Crappy singing, you're welcome, world. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. There's just, just fine nuggets of, of wonderful content here. A very fine, sophisticated mm, program. You're going to lose all your viewers. All, all five of them? <laughs> <laughs> it's only been eight years. I mean, whatever. Well. It, it, it's what we do. But, you know, having having Ronnie on this episode ensures that we at least have one Ron on downloadable content. Well, you know, I got to do a couple episodes like this if I'm going to catch up. Yeah, you do. You better hope he. Uh, you better hope Ron takes a sabbatical for the next eight years. However, if you want to uh, catch up, so that's all right. But yeah, so we're gonna be talking about romance and video games on this episode. I mean, this episode. If 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 the stars line up properly, you should be listening to this episode on Valentine's Day. Just how the schedule worked out. So. Happy Valentine's Day, one and all. Hopefully, uh, you're having a, a great day. Before we dive into today's discussion, just want to remind every single one of you out there that downloadable content can be found on our website, dlcpodcast.com. Every episode can be found there, as well as iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. You can also find out upcoming episodes, upcoming recordings. Let us know if you want to be in on an episode. Give us feedback. Give us ideas for future episodes. It's all there, dlcpodcast.com. So, yes, today's discussion, we're going to be talking about the idea of romance in video games and talking about memorable romantic storylines in video games. I'm sure we, we've got some. I know there are a few obvious ones out there. And, you know, as, as I mentioned in the intro, this is not necessarily a new idea since video games have existed. Developers have tried to find ways to convey the idea whether it's in sprite format or mm. now with current technology, you know, full 
video cutscenes, dialogue, spoken body dialogue. capturing. Yep, all that fun stuff. stuff. Mm. All all in trying to tell a story, all to create emotion. And you know, I, I thought about that being a a pretty good topic to dive into because. If you are playing a a narrative-driven game or a game where you, as the player character, can create a romantic plotline or subplot, and I immediately think of the Bioware games, they've made a career on doing that. For example, Mass Effect Dragon Age, as I mentioned in the opener... It either can, you know, you either can do it really well or you can do it really badly. Well, I mean, I the, think... the... you go ahead. And no. All right. <laughs> um, so, well, I was just going to say, uh, I think Dragon Age did it pretty well, but I didn't even go that. I went, what? I get to make my own character and they can, you know, like get what pretty much, you know, all except for one of the you know, players that you can select from that. And, like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to just bang all of them. I, and I'm going to take the this romantic. one person and go have a foursome with the two innkeepers, because I can. So I... I and then when... Uh, what was her name? It's, pardon me for this. Mor- Morgana? Mor- Morgan? Something like that? The cool witch chick. It's been a while since I've played it. Uh, when she started basically saying... Yeah, well, I don't want to be physical with you and, until you're, you commit to just me. I was like, "Sorry, baby doll, I can't do this." It was, it felt, uh, it it was fun, more fun than it probably should have been. Morgan is who is was correct. Morgan, okay. And Lily, yes. go on, Ronnie. <laughs> I was saying Liliana was who I I romanced in Dragon Age. Deja brings up an interesting point, though, because you know. <laughs> Here you are, if you're the player character, you know, trying to basically just bed everybody. The idea of rejection in a game like that is also an interesting design choice to maybe sort of remind the player that, hey, there are some you, there, things you do might have consequences. Or... Well, it kind of makes me think of The Sims, where I, when I, whenever I would play that, I would basically try to make my own soap operas, and my little person that I made would basically just sleep with everybody. And then I just tried to make sure that they were never around each other, but like, you know, my different partners. Because you can't really easily do a polycule from The Sims. They always fight. Aww. It's a shame. I want to let other people can. It's okay. So yeah, the, <laughs> the 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 Bioware games, uh, they their uh, romance options are really an outgrowth of the earlier uh, pixel RPGs that first brought romance into video games. That that's what that's you know where I I thought. Or, we... Yeah, or at least brought strong romantic themes into video games for the first time because you know there was. There were always people who saw the romance between uh, Mario and Peach in Mario 1 with the tiny pixels. <laughs> and figured, well, why not? Let's expand upon that. And so in doing some research for this episode, 
you know, trying to find, you know, some of, of video gaming's like quote unquote greatest love stories or you mm-hmm. know, romantic plot lines. Um, you know, I'm just gonna address the the obvious ones right off the bat. Um, okay. The the first two that stuck out to me, just as a player, were games that you know, Final Fantasy, sp- specifically eight and ten. Mm-hmm. Um, with the whole uh, Laguna Renoa storyline in eight, and of course Yuna and Titus in ten. Which, for me, as a younger gamer, were some of the first real examples of a, a majorly narrative game having this really important sort of romance as the game developed, as the story developed. Because, let's see, we're talking Final Fantasy VIII, that was a PS1 game, so I was in my mid-teens. And Final Fantasy X on the PS2 a little bit later, so... Maybe it was the onset... Maybe it's the onset of puberty I started noticing these things, who knows? (laughs) I could never get into the whole Renoa Squall perfect epic love thing they did nothing for me and you kind of have to buy into that to like yeah. well that's why i didn't really like it but, i mean it had I mean, other issues with it but even even before if that the, if like if i had shipped them really hard then i probably could have looked past the other things that just didn't interest me with it but nope but yeah even before that i mean final fantasy 6 had a romance's a, for a couple characters throughout it, but primarily like the entire on Locke. opera. <laughs> yes, but I was going to say more Locke and how his entire the entire plot of his character is focused around his lost love Rachel and eventually moving on to love again with Celes. Mm. And then there's Ultros and everyone. Okay. Uh, yes, we'll go with the tentacle. That's that's fun. Yeah. Please don't horrify me. He's asexual. But also, even before that, while it was less of a romance and more of a relationship, you also have Final Fantasy IV with Cecil and Rosa, who were in a long-term relationship before the game ever started, and their relationship continues throughout the game. Right. I mean, it's it's part of you know Cecil's own motivations throughout the game as well. And hell, that's one of the only games I can ever think of where. The two characters are already together as the game starts and stay together throughout it. Yes. For Final Fantasies, yes. And so, I mean, for for me, that was, you know, one of the earliest... One of the, probably one of the, the first few times I actually noticed the idea of, of romance as a plot element in a game. Something that I, not, necess- not necessarily felt tacked on but actually you know i think the first for me would have been lufia 2 which is a game where uh the main character i know dj's heard me talk about it but neither of you two have played lufia before right correct okay uh in lufia you go on an adventure with your party it's a fantasy but 
the big thing is halfway through the game, you win, or at least you think you do. And then it cuts to a couple of years later where you're married to the person you were with in the first half. You have a child and the enemies return and kidnap your child and you get to be badass battle parents going to get your child back. Ooh. Which I want to see more of that kind of stuff. Like not Ooh. every like 20 year olds and 15 year olds aren't the only ones who can save the world. So th- doesn't that sound kind of interesting, Brian? That sounds very interesting. It, it, it does not take the Disney formula of, okay, we have to kill a parent right off. And, uh, <laughs> nope. You got, everyone's you got an you. orphan. I should turn my phone off. Well, speaking of first just opened games. just the door. I did. Um, so, I was kind of, I guess, late to playing video games. I was 12 when my parents got a PlayStation 1 for the family. So I never had a NES or a SNES or a Sega or anything. And my first RPG... Alright, technically it was Final Fantasy VII. I rented it from Blockbuster for five days, but I barely got like I got to June on and that was like it but my first game that I actually bought and completed and it's just why I wanted to be on this episode because I wanted to make sure that it got talked about was um the port with new animated cutscenes of um Lunar the Silver Star Story which that's all about romance like Alex and Luna whether they're officially an item per se at the beginning, I guess one could argue, but they're basically inseparable. They kind of talk like an old married couple. It's obvious that they have a thing for each other, even if I guess they don't like ever really admit to it until much later. Because spoilers, As I, did, I suppose. Like they're, she, they're not together when it starts. If you say they're together she, when it starts, then they're then every random anime childhood friend couple is together at the beginning of the anime. Yeah, well, alright. I don't know. Again, like, the way that they talk, I never really take it as their childhood friends as much as they've been together. That's just the way that I perceived it when I was 12. Excuse me, sir. Um, (laughs) But, like, I mean, yes, he wants to become a Dragon Master, but once Galleon's like, oh, by the way, I'm evil, ha ha ha, and he takes her and turns her into this dark lady thing. Can I, one second, let me interrupt also, yes. for, for one second, because Brian didn't say this at the beginning. Um, just to warn all the people, we are probably going to have massive spoilers for various games in this episode. So if you hear us mention the name of a game and you haven't played it yet and you want to, you should probably click off now. It's a... One could say, I guess, it's a trophy game, so... Like, I didn't see that coming when I was 12, but again, I hadn't really played anything before, and I was just getting into anime at the time, so obviously Evil Guy didn't seem so obvious to me. But I feel like everybody else was like, yeah, no, that that guy's evil, yeah. But, um... That game made me cry at the end, I really... Oh. Because he ends up giving up, like, all of it. Like, he becomes... It basically, like... I guess, to compare it to something, it would be like if at the end of a Zelda, in order to save Zelda, Link, like, gave up his Master Sword and all of his stuff. 
like gave up all of his power to save her and then they were just regular schmucks and they went back to a tiny little town and just lived their life because their love is so pure. This is basically what he does, and she's like, no, don't do this, it's not worth it, I'm not worth it, and he's like, yes you are, and oh, my, <laughs> my bitter heart is so squishy for it, because not it that does. many couples like get me, like, I, like, you have to write something really well and have me really like the characters for me to be like, yes, I really want these people together. Oh, for Deja to have all the feels. <laughs> Every well, one of them. Well, like, all right, yeah, they're together. That's just a factual statement. Okay. Like, you know, but... But Alex and Luna, they're just OTP. I can just see you, I can see you now at the other end here, just with little hearts bubbling all around your head. Just, just... <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's sort of... That sort of... Sugarful glee. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Um, just before we actually started recording, a friend of mine and also occasional panelist, Jeremiah, uh, he brought up a small list of games that stuck out to him. Uh, one of them I've never played, but I've heard of it, uh, Catherine. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Oh, you know, we, we own Catherine. That's what I was going to talk about. Well, I will I will give that to you because I've heard of it many times. I've never played it. So Okay. I have really not, interesting game. I have not beaten Catherine. We got about three fourths of the way through it before I think inventory at work uh, threw me off and I never I never ended up coming back to it, but I, I will. But it is a very well written uh, game with mature themes. And by mature themes, I don't mean, uh, like, blatant sex like you'll get in hentai games, though there is sex in the game, um, but it deals very honestly with adult relationships, with, you know, not seeing eye to eye with the person you're with, you know, imagining things could be different, cheating. Fears of like, commitment, yep. like, do what, basically, there, I forget the guy's name, correct me if you know what Vincent. it is. Vincent. And then there's Catherine with a C, and Catherine with a K. And Catherine with a K, I believe, is the one who he's been dating for a long time. I don't remember if they're engaged or about to get engaged, but he's sort of having this cold feet thing. She's kind of pressuring him into marriage, and he's like, I don't know, what about my bachelorhood? And then he goes she's to a bar with for his more friends. of a commitment that yeah. he's not willing to do. And she's like more serious and kind of has that sort of like button up businesswoman kind of look. And, um, and one Catherine could say perhaps she has resting bitch face, quote, quote. Like, uh, but, and then he goes to a bar, he gets super drunk with his friends, and he wakes up, and then there's this cute, perky blonde with twisty hair, pigtails, and her name is Catherine of the Sea. Yes, and she basically it represents the freedom and the, the way to get away, and he ends up arguably cheating on his girlfriend because you never actually see it, which becomes important when you realize she is literally a succubus from hell that has been sent to corrupt him. Uh, which is what you get over the course of the game. And, like, at the end of each, it's basically a puzzle game. Like, you yeah, have the, to the actual blocks around and stuff. So the beginning, the, the daytime portions of the game, while you're awake, are where the story happens 
and the the relationship stuff, all the rest of it. Then when you go to sleep at night, you get kicked into this de- demon world where you have to puzzle solve to progress. And, and that's you're where dressed, the game you're dressed like yeah. a ram. And it's all like the whole all the stuff in this nightmare world are all representations of your subconscious. Like one of the bosses is this like baby, like the whole idea of, oh, what if like, you know, what if I was a father and responsibility and all this stuff, like a lot of really weird and kind of creepypasta. Stuff yeah. Stuff. And you and depending on the choices you make, uh, you can either end up with Catherine. The you can either you can end up with either Catherine or neither or if you get the true the true Catherine of the Sea ending, you can kill the Satan himself basically and become the new king of hell with Catherine by your side. Also, this, so going back, sorry, it sounds like if Silent Hill had had more romance in it. Yeah, kind of. I mean, not quite that dark, but definitely, because it's like a spin-off of the Persona games that are a spin-off of other games, and okay. it just, so Atlas keeps spinning off. The bosses in Catherine could absolutely be out of Silent Hill, such as the uh, monster vagina with teeth that comes after you. I don't remember that. I might have not been at the house for that one. I, I know one of them is Catherine with a K coming after you with, like, a giant fork. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> But at the end of each puzzle level, you you get to the top of the thing that you're climbing up, and you go into almost like a little confessional booth, and there's two ropes, and it gives you this sort of moral question. I mean, it's kind of basically to, again, no matter, or depending on which one you do, you know, in classic game morality meter stuff, puts you one way or the other, and it's really obvious which way. I'll actually say this. Um, Deja, I know, already knows this, but for Brian... Uh, the Catherine is actually part of the uh, Shin Megami Tensai slash Persona, that game world. Oh, okay. So, so like, it very tenuously connected. It, it takes place in the same universe as Persona. He actually, Vincent actually makes a guest appearance in Persona 3, I believe. Um, but uh, it uses the same morality system as the Shin Megami Tensai games, with your choices either representing order or chaos. Mm. Though it's not as well done as the Shin Megami Tensai games. My like biggest question will be like, yeah, it's okay to cheat on your partner, yeah. yes or no. And like, my my biggest complaint with it was the the morality system is very weak. Which, considering it comes from the Shin Megami Tensei games, which have an extremely strong morality system, a very well done one, like that's the morality system in that is where most games in the modern day got it from, because they've been doing it since like '94. Um, so Catherine's morality system, in comparison to the rest of the series, is actually kind of a disappointment. Okay. But other than that, it's a it's a very well done, well written game, with strong themes of relationships and human fears that you never see explored in any video games yeah. ever. Which is why I thought it was really cool because, again, most games are going to go either with the whole um, chase concept of they're they're towing around each other. Will they get together? Won't they? Yay! It's the end. They got together and. 
like we never see the reality of being in a relationship with another person because nobody and, usually wants to deal with that and it's getting a sequel which i'm looking forward to the yes. original is also getting a remaster probably to remind people that it was even a game because it was like a big deal when it first came out but it's been a while but ronnie you bring up an, an, an interesting point so why do you think that other developers don't tackle the more negative or harsher elements of romance in video games well i suppose the question is why in the movie industry was an r rating considered a death knell because it severely limits your demographics and it makes it so, and it cuts off a portion of the audience having adult themes that children wouldn't necessarily understand narrows your audience down severely also it narrows your audience because adults that still see video games to this day as more childlike thing even if they play games there are still parents there are still adults who see it as a kids thing that they still enjoy and they look strangely at some of what hardcore gamers play right now which seems weird considering how big call of duty is but I run into these people at work. Like, they still exist, and this kind of game, like, it cuts off them, and it cuts off kids un under a certain age. So you have severely limited what you're going to be doing. Now, I would say even on top of that, you have people who might be, like, you take all of them out, but then you have people who are adults accept that, oh, I still like playing games, but... Games are their escape, games are their entertainment, and they might go, well, I don't want to be playing with somebody's bullshit relationship stuff. I got that enough in my own life. I, I want mean, escapism. At Atlas did was able to do Catherine because Atlas makes niche games. They typically use... They do. They, they typically use older engines or, en or things that have already been used so that they don't have to pour tons of money into development and they bring people in with these niche ideas that they don't need to make tons of money to make their money back. And that's how they're able to do things like Catherine or like the earlier Persona games before they blew up. And then if they get really successful, then that's just bonus. Because I think Catherine did really well. But yeah, it was yeah. mainly because people went, oh, hey, this is a really cool, different puzzle game. And yeah, it deals with this other stuff. But because, like, I feel like if, I don't know, this is a really bad example. Like, if Final Fantasy was suddenly going to have characters who are in their mid-20s or 30s, and a big theme was going to be dealing with, like, divorce or difficult relationships, I wonder if a lot of people would be like, I'm into this. Because, again, people generally like the chase. Like, with sitcoms, for example, it's always, well, they won't they, or on and off again relationships. And at the finale, that's when they get married, or they finally confess their love. Well, that's the more, yeah. the on again, off again is more the fact that sitcoms aren't really allowed to progress the storyline. Well, like, like, everything needs, everything needs to reset at the end of the episode, so unless they're going to be together when it already starts, they're never really going to get together, at least not for a whole long period of time. Which, don't get me wrong, there are sitcoms that have not gone that route, but traditionally that's the way sitcoms work. 
But anyway, I feel like a lot of games kind of do that too. I don't know. Maybe not the on-off again thing, obviously, because there's only so much time. But the but like in an RPG, oh, we're getting our crew together. Wait, hey, that little mage over there is really cute. Maybe we'll get together by the end. As opposed to, I'm in my group and I'm going to bring my, you know, r romantic partner with me and we're going to go then and you can see what our either healthy, mature relationship looks like or, you know, sometimes we argue and just that the other thing as opposed to starting from nothing and then ending up with squishy romance. But I'm the salty person who kind of wishes that sometimes there was more variety there. Hmm. And, you know, um, it was also while, while doing my research for this episode, just taking a look, um, there was, uh, have either of you played Gone Home? No, I have not. I have not. I own it. I have not played it yet. Well, I won't spoil it for you then. So I'm going to leave that there. I've really, in, as as short as Gone Home is, it's it's an experience. I'm not going to ruin it for you there. Don't spoil it for me, but I'm I actually kind of figured it out. I think just um, from what I've seen of it. Okay, but don't don't say anything. I because if I'm I, wrong, because if I'm wrong, I don't want to know I'm wrong. Okay, <laughs> well, good. Um. We did mention Mass Effect earlier, and for me, this was just the idea of the player. You as the player sort of creating your own romance as opposed to having it baked into the plot. It's an interesting mechanic because you can either... There's a lot of freedom in there, you know, especially with the options presented to you in the, mass effect the the issue to me and it's not necessarily an issue it's a trade-off if you ba if you have a romance that's baked into the plot you can ha give it a lot more depth and you can explore it much you can explore it much more deeply and integrate it more tightly into what's going on if you have a multiple choice one where you have multiple different characters you have multiple different plot lines those romances give you a lot more get, you can have a lot more options for them to customize it but you never really get to explore it in depth it always feels surface level and to me they feel more tacked on interesting but not the first time i've heard that criticism so i sort of felt during my playthrough of mass effect that Depend like the the character or characters your your version of Shepard romances in the game. There, it was basically each each option had its own pros and cons, and I also felt that the amount of attention given to that romantic storyline for that character varied in terms of emotional depth and and just gravitas as it were well that's another issue that's another worry when you do uh, one where you give a bunch of choices is 
well, a lot of times they're going to have a character that would fit better in the story, and they're going to get more... It's going to feel more right, and they'll get more integration to the content than other relationships necessarily would. Yes, that's exactly where I was going. So, in my playthrough of Mass Effect, I chose to romance Liara throughout the entire three games. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, it felt like that pairing felt the, not the most correct, that's not the word I'm looking for, but made the most sense. Because mm -hmm. for me, there was a lot of emotional weight behind it. That romance, that romance option to me felt the most organic. Mm -hmm. the, way, the way that developed. And so for me, I felt like I got a lot both as an, as an experience and, and emotionally from that romance option than had I chose any of the other characters. Mm -hmm. do, do you understand what I, what I mean when I say uh, you, you can't get quite as much depth in a multiple choice one as when you bake it into the story? Sort of. So elaborate on that a little bit. I okay. think I see, I think I see where you're going with it, but but elaborate. This isn't the best example because I don't necessarily think it's the best told romance, but the one that our viewers and everybody's going to know very well is Final Fantasy X. It has a very strong romance theme. It's a huge focus for the story. You, you they build on it throughout the whole game. Yep. And because they build on it throughout the whole game, because it's tied because it's so tightly integrated into the story, you get a lot more depth to it than you do one of the multiple choice ones in like in a Dragon Age or a Mass Effect. To me, you can get you get to explore it more. You get to learn more about the characters. You get to do more with it because they know you have to see all of this. They know that you're going to get these. And they don't have to try to make it fit across multiple characters. They can go, this is what, th we can tie the story into this, not just tack this on top of what's already going to be happening. Okay. I can see that. The pro to having a game where you can sort of craft your own romance or select to, you know, get to know the characters and go, I kind of want to pursue stuff story-wise with this person. The upside to that is, especially if, with, with Bioware particularly, they're really good about um, sexual orientation options. Yep. Where it's not, well, you're playing a dude, so obviously you got to play, you know, you got to yeah. date one of the ladies. Also, and I don't know if the games do this either, if it gives you the option to not romance anybody then that's good too because as opposed to going everybody loves romance look at those two attractive well, characters they're I gonna mean, get together don't you like it there i mean there's i mean there's positive negative i'm not trying to be negative towards the multiple choice ones um in fact in a lot of ways for video game for for the video game producers it's better because deja's already brought this up as a great example if you don't buy into the romance, the game does nothing for you if it's a baked-in romance. If it's a game like Final Fantasy VIII, where it's a huge part of it, and you don't like the romance, that's not who you would have gotten with. You don't like those characters. The game's over for you. Like, that's it. 
there's nothing left. Well, the, like, I feel like the upside to a, here's the romance that we're doing, we're writing it as part of the story, is that you can focus on it and hopefully write a really solid romance. Because that's your focus. As opposed to, ah, I gotta write, like, six with mm -hmm. multiple options for what you say and what what date you go on and if you wore the blue shirt or the orange shirt oh my god um and not that they're necessarily bad but i can see folks like i guess it's like writing a choose your own, own adventure story versus writing just a straight up regular novel and that's why i like both of them but sometimes sometimes i feel like i might be more invested in the ones where i get to make the choices because i can put myself like in their shoes. Which for some players that's really, really important. They see themselves in there. And so perhaps the emotional investment is, I guess, deeper, maybe a bit more personal. And say representation matters. Absolutely. Well, the last big romance I got into, and this is more of a in-joke, I suppose, for Ronnie, uh, in a game was um, <laughs> when we were recently playing South Park, The Fractured Butthole, I totally shipped our little black trans girl with Mysterion. <laughs> like, there's no romance in the game at all, but I was like, nope, they're together. They don't know it yet, but they are. They're so cute together. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll show you pictures of our character later. Um, but yes, I mean, when you when you have the a bunch of choices, a bunch of characters that you get to choose from, like you can choose who is more appealing to you, the player. Like who do you like? Who do you prefer? And you know, that's that's good. Like being able to being able to make the choices. Like ne neither is wrong. They're just for different types of games. Like, the Mass Effect and Dragon Age games themselves are not super tightly focused games. You have a bunch of choices for where you want to go, how you want to go about things, so the romance choices being part of it feels supernatural. In a very strong story-driven RPG, it, makes more, it feels better to have the romance tightly tied into the narrative because everything else is. So, I mean, it's it's just for different games. Yes. And it's 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 a take your pick basically. Mhm. Mm so. Yes, all it's, right. it's it's all it's all about which position's your favorite. That's what it is. Yep. And I think on that note we will cut to break here. And we will continue this discussion in the second half. In the meantime, you'll have some music, as is per usual here on Downloadable Content. You're listening to Episode 2 of Season 8 of DLC. We're talking about romance. We'll be back.
Welcome back to downloadable content talking about romance in video games. During the break, I stuffed my face with a handful of lint chocolate truffles given to me by my lovely. Because that is my kryptonite, apparently. They are pretty good. They are very good. And when, when I get them by the bag full, it's like, oh boy, this could easily become dinner if I let it. You're an adult. You can make those decisions. Yes, I could. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an adult. No one can tell me what to do. <laughs> Except maybe my waistline and my wallet, but whatever. Y'all, that's... that's... What what was it? What is the meme I saw on Facebook? When you, t- you talk to a child and tell them being an adult means that you can eat ice cream every day for dinner, but being an adult means you have to buy the ice cream. Yes, and you become sad, like oh, I, I have to get it. Mm-hmm. I, I can't just summon it into being. You can't just you can't. Yeah, just... And eventually, you get tired of the ice cream. And you want something different. When does that happen, Deja? If I ate it for dinner every day, I'd get tired of it. I don't eat ice cream every day. I just still like ice cream. So there you go. So yes, we're going to continue our discussion (laughs) of romance in video games. I thought we had a pretty good first half, and we'll continue that into the second half. Other romances that... uh, that we personally have found very much enjoyable. So, you ha- you had a couple of ideas over the break, Ronnie and Deej. So I will yield to you to open up this second half. You you want to lead with uh with our favorite monsters, Deej? I uh, I think that's you talking about Undertale. Yes. Okay. So. I know the previous episode had us talking chock full of Undertale goodness, but, um, you know, it, we didn't get quite into the, is it quite unrequited or, you know, is it mutual romance between the kingdom scientist Alphys and the um, super badass warrior Undyne because Alphys clearly has it bad for Undyne but I think Undyne's no. a little no they they get together hopeless. they kiss in the end I know but you have to go through oh. the super secret stuff oh okay they have to go on the date where Undyne kind of comes off clueless a little bit hence why I say is it unrequited Yes, they're both they're both very much in love with each other and they are both very much oblivious to each other's feelings. And you have to go and fix things because you are a protagonist and you wear the protagonist pants. And that means you need to go and make everybody's lives better. And when you go on the date with her as Frisk, um, all of the items she's trying to woo you with are specifically catered to her fishy amour. Wow, look at this. I have magic spear fixing things. And here's some armor cream. And this is for your scales. None of these are useful for you, are they? Ooh, I'm dying. 
There you go. <laughs> just uh, there's the voice. Are we gonna are we gonna go watch some anime? <laughs> Yeah, if you ever play, if you if you ever play that game with us, you're gonna have to sit through. Ooh, that it's like if Undertale had voice <laughs> acting. Well, it do doesn't have very slight voice voices in it. Uh, if you count one deep noises. No, no. Oh, okay, Metaton. Yeah. Metaton and Flowey both speak. Oh, Only one. Laugh speak. a little bit. Well, no, Fla Flowey has the. That's a wonderful idea. See, I never remember hearing that. Anyway, we don't want to get too much into Undertale. <laughs> Last episode. <laughs> it's, it's it's what happens in the genocide run after you kill Toriel and finish the ruins. Okay. Says the person that didn't play the genocide. <laughs> I remember it better than you do. It's funny well, how that Well, blah. You did research before the episode. Harumph. <laughs> okay. I want a divorce. Well, uh, <laughs> two romances that I want to talk about. Uh, the first one I'll say, because I feel it's remarkably well done, is Transistor. An indie darling from a couple of years back, where you play as Red, this opera singer, who has a giant sword that, would, that Cloud would absolutely love. Yes. And the, yes, and he the would. Cloud, yes. And the cloud has the soul of your of your dead love, who's just murdered in front of you as the game begins, trapped inside of it, and he is the narrator for the game. Because your voice is sealed away, and you can't speak or sing anymore. And the very end of the game, after basically your world dies from the apocalypse, and there's nothing really left, and you kill yourself with the sword, so it will absorb you so that you can live inside of it forever with the man you love. Because there's nothing left for you in this world. That was a gut-wrenching ending, though. <laughs> yes, it was. But it was remarkably well done, wasn't it? Especially for a game that doesn't have a lot of traditional exposition. Yes. And I think there were some other bits of of implied romance oh no one of the one of the the first uh i think he's, she's the first or second boss but there's a woman who was in love with you and she's the one who ended up getting your your boyfriend murdered um at the beginning of the game because she was basically wanted you yes it was a, it was a crime born out of jealousy born out of jealousy and passion which seems to go along with the generally noir themes in Transistor. Yes. Which is funny for a game that seems very, uh, which is very computery and kind of cyberpunky to call it noir, but it definitely has some of those themes in it. Oh, absolutely. Yes. It's one. Of, it's it's one of the reasons why I I enjoy it so much. Is you know the setting absolutely fits. So we all, so we've we've all said one. Before I go on to another one, Brian, why don't why don't you take the floor? All right. Hold on. Um. Well, you know, we've talked about various relationships in games, whether you know 
either popular games or you know, well, at least, at the very least, well-known games, varying degrees of popularity, but, you know, we haven't really touched upon really any of the classics. Like, some of the earliest indicators of a romance in video games, you have to go back to Nintendo. You're, you know, the whole Link-Zelda storyline that has been in for 30 years, Mario and Rock. Peach... Brian, men and women can just be friends. They don't all have to be dating. Uh, yes, that is true. I'm also just trolling you. Don't mind me. Uh, you do that very well. Have you played the Zelda series? <laughs> uh, yes, I have. I have very much. There's, Despite there's it set, being etched on your skin? <laughs> that Yes, I, I do have a Zelda 2. It's not a couple's uh, tattoo at all. But, uh, Just because I have Link on my own. There's the, the Zelda games have varying degrees of romance. Some of them have very explicit romance between Link and Zelda. Some have Link romancing somebody else, and some don't have romance at all. It all depends on the game. It does depend on the game. Um, it's interesting. The, the game that I'm, I'm thinking about most recently, though, Breath of the Wild, which is a fantastic Fantastic game. That's so much fun with that one. It was an excellent game. Far better than the new Mario shots fired. <laughs> I own Mario Odyssey. I haven't started it yet, but I really like the Zelda Link dynamic in Breath of the Wild uh, through the flashbacks. Yes. When you have to uh, go in and take pic uh, you you're, you get these pictures because for some reason your Sheikah Slate also functions as a camera. Uh, because why not? Because why not? You, you go to these locations and it, it triggers a memory within Link. And I love how that relationship develops over the course of these flashbacks. It's really well done. And I, like, like I still found their relationship cute, but I also, this is, again, just silent protagonist concept it's kind of hilarious that she'll be like scolding you or getting all science nerdy on you which i love that she was basically a science nerd in this game um yes. and then you're just kind of standing there not saying anything <laughs> just like oh yeah okay oh yeah that is pretty cool about the praying and this and the science and the guardians and stuff all right i'll be over here with my horse well this 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 <laughs> This particular game, to me, it felt like the Zelda Link relationship was taken to a level beyond superficial. Like, Zelda is, this is, to me, I mean, I haven't played all of the Zelda games, so for me, this was, this was a game where Zelda did not feel like an accessory. Well, I would say that uh, Skyward Sword kind of started that, and that's fair. I haven't finished. I haven't finished Skyward Sword, so that's just just from my own frame of reference. Yeah, you know, I, I want to see Zelda play a large role in many of the games, um, but there's a couple that she's already played large roles in. Um, the Wind Waker series. Um, all all three games because I include Spirit Tracks in that. And in Spirit Tracks, you actually get to play as Zelda. You get you, Zelda and Link are a team throughout the entire game. 
Um, the romance between the two of them with him and Tetra is implied in Wind Waker, but Skyward Sword, it's very obvious. Like, yeah, Z Link is totally going to be banging Zelda, and that's where the Hyrulean royal family's coming from. Like, that's just what's happening. Yeah, that's she definitely digs you. Oh, yeah. No, she's got a thing for you before before everything even starts in the game. Right. And, like, it was just very nice to see Zelda in Breath of the Wild actually being... You know, having a larger role than just the thing you have to rescue. Like... True. Like, she was her own person, you know, with her own agency, and just... You get to see the pressure she's under not just but not just you know from her father but the pressure she puts on herself mm. and you know watching that relationship develop with with link i just thought was was very well done by the way screw her dad i want to go back and beat the crap out of that ghost <laughs> by the end of the game or, or when you first see him at the start of the game in his uh, <laughs> just keep hit, just keep hitting. When he's him like, and I'm the friendly old man, and then you're like, No, you're that asshole who ruined everything. Now I'm gonna go and hang out with Mifa. So there, <laughs> you jerk. But yes, so that's it's it's just interesting to see that those two, especially in Breath of the Wild, I thought that. For me, having played Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and Twilight Princess, it was just, it was nice. Oh, Zelda has agency in this game. And I thought that that made the, the relationship between her and Link in Breath of the Wild that much better. I would agree with that statement. So. It's it's the, the, the relationship between Link and Zelda well the, the relationship between Link and Zelda and all of the champions is the underpinnings of that entire game it's the spine that makes Breath of the Wild work yes so that that is my my contribution for, for that <laughs> um, so I want to, to shift gears we've been talking about romantic storylines and romantic uh couples as it were most of the way through but now i, I wanted to shift gears and, and talk about you know the, the the type of game that we call dating sims which just doing a search on steam for games that fall under this category it's very very obvious that the vast majority of them are heavily heavily anime influenced mm-hmm and they range in quality very severely. I don't know why that's the case, not being too familiar with this genre myself. I think it's because a lot of... I mean, I'm not hugely into the genre, but when I first learned about it, they were all... Like, this was back in like the late 90s. Everything in the genre basically came from Japan. Um, not that we didn't necessarily have ones like that, I guess. But, I mean, now that pretty much anybody can kind of make a video game i think that's how we have so many steam ones but your tokimeki memorial ones uh it's the only series i think i remember the name of but 
you know, most of them were these little anime visual novels where your faceless bland guy and there's cute, cute moe moe girls everywhere for you to hook up with. Or there's always a Hatoful boyfriend. <laughs> okay, let's let's not go into Hatoful boyfriend. If we're gonna touch Google into Hatoful, everybody, you're welcome. If we're gonna look into Hatoful boyfriend, we may as well talk about Doki Doki Literature Club. I haven't played that yet, so I can. But I but totally it, want to. But it is. It's like I, I, you know, just doing a search on Steam for you know anything you know romance or dating sims, and they're very, very much. You know, anime inspired with very well, I mean the the, the genre pretty much originated in Japan and it's a huge huge genre in Japan far larger than it is here there's even an anime slash manga that's specifically about a kid who only plays dating sims he hates real women 2D okay. women are the only thing and I love that series that is one anime about that there are oh, multiple yeah. okay well there's a bunch of them. That's just the best one. And they all okay. range not only in quality, but, you know, f from just your basic, from, you know, being sort of high, flirty, cute, to, you know, we're, we're going into hentai land here. It's... And... I tried downloading... This is back in college. This is like... No, like 10 years ago, maybe. <laughs> I tried... Uh, they weren't quite as easily you know, obtainable back then, or at least if they were, then I had no clue. Um, cause like there wasn't steam or anything, but I tried downloading a hentai one once. And the problem was, I think it was translated, but I had no clue what was going on. And it was not a good one in my opinion, because it was basically, I was just this dude at a school who would just walk into rooms and it'd be like, two girls just going at it in this room and I'd be like, why? What's going on? Like, I'm not actually trying to date anybody here. I'm just walking into this is like, what, the sex school? I don't know what's going on. So I stopped playing after like 10 minutes. Like, oh, alright. <laughs> but, I mean, there there are good dating sims. Just oh, like definitely. That just, just like, wasn't one of them. Yeah, just like there are bad bad kinds of every other game, but it, it dating sims is one where there is such a deluge of them that it's it's hard to separate the the wheat from the chaff. For me for Very me in a dating sim you analogy. have to have good writing. I am I am a writer, Brian. It, I, it occasionally comes out. It occasionally comes out. Nicely done. Nicely Thank done. you. But like the one game that I, I see occasionally pop up when I'm playing a game on Steam, because I know some of my friends have it, is Honey Pop. Which, Yay! Which, That's my jam! <laughs> which is a puzzle game. On, I mean, I've never played this, but just just a quick look at it, you know, it's a puzzle game it looks like, and my immediate thought was did somebody turn Candy Crush or Bejeweled into, you know, hot anime romance? Basically, yeah. Basically, okay, Although so... It's, actually, it's a pretty... It's... it's Alright, it's kind of cool just, how they... Huh? I have it pulled up right here. You put 88 hours into Honeypop. <laughs> <laughs> I think I played it twice. I, th I just I just felt it was important that people knew. That <laughs> how much did I put into Honeycam Studio? Probably over 100. 96. 
Oh, what? I gotta play it more. Um, you got another four more DJs. <laughs> well, so, so basically, it is like Bejeweled or any sort of match three to five, you know, game. Um, but each little color and shape or what have you is associated with a um, personality attribute. And there's 12 women, I believe, although eight is what you start with and then you have to like unlock them by doing certain things. Yep. And each like they sort of come in pairs with like two of the eight characters. Um, you get the most points uh, from matching um, like the red ones are um, sexuality tokens. And my favorite character, Jessie, she's She's the MILF one, even though she's maybe, like, 31 years old. That's, like, a whole other thing. Um, or maybe she's more like 34. Still, she's in her 30s. And she's an ex-porn star, but that's a whole other thing. But she's my favorite one. I adore her. Um, I don't know why. Um, or I should say I do know why, but I won't go into that. Um, and then there's another character, the teacher. The Asian teacher, because you have to have... The Japanese woman in there. She likes the sexual. You have, to have all the tropes. If you're if you're, if you're <laughs> doing that, does have you... the. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The... What is kind of cool about it is that, like, they're not all white chicks, um, which, again, a lot of like, if you look at a lot of the anime ones, they're all gonna kind of look the same, and then maybe the most might be a most bit... American-made ones are going to have, like, you're gonna have the black girl, you're gonna have the Asian girl. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna nail each of these uh, fetishes. And uh, a Latina. There's the drugged-up party chick. There's the video game nerd. There's the girl next door type. There's the milk type. Um, Which it's great to have representation, but is it really any good when they're basically put in there to fulfill fetishes? Yeah, good point. I don't know. Maybe I'm so jaded by just. Again, all the anime girls like it'd be better if you like, could yeah. choose what race. It, it would be better if you could choose what race your character was before going and dating all these people. That but would be representation. Have a face. So I suppose your own face is your representation. Not quite the same thing, and you know it. Well, I know. Um, oh, there's also a blue alien chick in there. That's representation, and a cat girl. Well, for all, all the... Well, I was going to say, so all the furries get some representation. Oh, and, and all of the aliens that came from space. So Ryoko has representation. Oh, Ryoko. But, um... So, so it, it works like a lot of dating sims will in the sense of you get to ask them a couple questions. You can give them a gift. You can give them food or drinks. Um, which, like, give you extra sort of, like, question points, I'll call them. That's not what they call them in the game, but... Or energy points. Like, you can only ask them a certain amount of questions before they're like, I'm tired, you gotta go. Um, and so you can ask them your basic dating sim questions. What's your birthday? What's your favorite season? What do you do for a living? How old are you? What's your cup size? Because I feel like that's a required one for all of the games. And then you get uh, points to try to get them to say yes on a date by 
like sometimes when you ask them a question, they'll then ask you a question like, what's my birthday? And you have to remember it. Which isn't too hard if you pay attention. But if you're not playing it for 88 hours at a time, then you might forget. <laughs> well, yes. And also because I'm assuming, because it's, it's uh, obviously in the style of anime, there's also probably a great deal of humor in there as well. No, there is a, actually. So the first character you meet is Q. She is a love fairy. And she sees you in a bar. A very dirty love fairy. <laughs> she sees you in a bar, and you come up to her, and like one of the options of things you can say is like, uh, you're like really pretty. And, you know, so basically, either you try to act smooth, and she can see that really you're not smooth at all. You act <laughs> super nervous and awkward, and she's like, oh boy, okay, there's a lot more help here. So she kind of like flirts with you, and you awkwardly flirt back. And then you wake up the next day. Now she's got pink hair and like a little negligee and whatever. And I forget she she probably has fairy wings. And she does have she does have fairy <laughs> wings. And she's only wearing panties and her little baby doll lingerie. And you're like, what what is going on? Why do you have wings? I don't know. What's I think I'm still sleeping or something like that. And she basically um, tells you that she's taking pity on you and she's going to help you get laid, basically. <laughs> and so she gives you a like a phone or the, the honeybee or something it's called to keep track of the girls and all the information because that's not sketchy at all <laughs> I, I know right where are they right now Q knows so there <laughs> like I had way too much fun playing it and I feel like out of Ronnie and my friends who played it more women have played it than guys which I don't know I don't really know why that is like we apparently like animated boobs I guess nothing wrong with that <laughs> it's you know it's it's like I don't know not having played any of these games myself it's like I don't know who the market is for for these types of games so it's uh, like, people who like boobs Okay, so most... Yeah, because if you date them enough till you get five hearts, then they're basically like, want to go back to your place? And that's when um, there's no point limit on it. Basically, you just have to fill up a bar, but the bar will keep going down. Basically... sort of unlimited things. And then halfway, the bra comes off, and at the end, they orgasm. In the pants yes, basically, you are, you are bringing them off using Bejeweled. Bejeweled is for orgasms. And I'm not gonna lie, the the vocal acting is really good. I don't remember this being a hentai podcast, though. I believe we were talking about romance. That's why I wasn't gonna bring it up. I blame Brian. That you know, it's you can blame me all you like. It's just it's it's a significant category of game that occasionally pops up from time to time. True. I I got two two subjects I'd like to bring up and I, I think we're probably getting to the point where we're going to be winding down soon. That's fair. So one, I'll bring up a topic I think we all might have something to say about, but where would you like to see romance go in the future of gaming? What what are What is missing in video games right now and what would you like to see? 
Don't all jump at once. Well, uh, I, just, I, I, I was kind of waiting for I brought it up. I figured I'd I, let you guys first. I mean, I guess for me... Since I tend to only play RPGs, so... For that genre, it would be nice to see more... Um, non-heterosexual relationships. Like, I know that that's something that's happening in games more often, but at least... I haven't heard of a RPG that's not like like a Mass Effect or something. I, I guess I mean JRPGs, which is why it's never going to happen because they have their own sort of issues with LGBT stuff over there. But that would be something that I would like to see, or somebody to make an independent one over here that's JRPG-like, and you know. A fe female badass ranger and like her thief friend, and they totally fall for each other or something like that. that you know, branching off of that, because that's what I was going to to open with as well to answer Ronnie's question. We're seeing it happen more and more on the indie side of things. I feel not necessarily so much on the AAA front because it's. It, us outside of Bioware. And I, they've got a lot of weird crap from people about like, uh, why'd you put in the option to like, I got this elf guy, he's hitting on me, I don't want that, uh, and they're kind of like, so don't date him, I don't see what your problem is. Like, Bioware's been really cool about all this stupid flack, but I would think that that might be part of the reason some companies don't do it, because... Like, they see their demographic as not wanting that, I guess. And, and that's just it. It's like, outside of Bioware, I don't really see too many other AAA developers taking that plunge into creating storylines, romantic storylines, which involve non-heterosexual relationships. And I think it's something that is very, very sorely missing. I mean, we've we've been saying it all throughout this episode. Representation matters. But on the AAA side, that seems to be a very, very slow grind. That's, that's something that it doesn't appear that a lot of AAA developers are willing to to do because it's a, it's a it's a financial risk. And I think it's it's to the industry's detriment. I would agree with that. Um, it... Sorry, go on. No, I I I was just going to second oh. what you were saying. I had nothing. I, I feel like there. I agree so much, but because Ronnie and I talk about this sometimes about how. I always say, oh, you know, I want to play a game that's like this or this, or why doesn't why doesn't somebody do this? Like, you know, with these AAA things. And he'll usually go, because the market's hard enough right now, they're barely making their money back, and so they don't want to take risks. That's why they'd rather do Assassin's Creed 25 and Call of Duty 137 instead of something that is particularly niche or could be considered niche. I, I was gonna say to, to go off of that for mine, like uh, we first of all, as you get like we need more sexuality options. We need we need bisexual characters. We need gay characters. We need all of that. There aren't we stereotypes, need, by the way. 
Yes. Like the bisexual just, can't just be like, I hook up with everybody. No, and we no, and you don't just yeah. have one token one. Yeah. Um, but also, as we mentioned uh, briefly in Honey Pop, we need more. We need Latinos. We need African Americans, Black people. We need like we need all of these different things, but we need them to not be stereotypes. We need them to be actual people. We need them to be treated like all the other characters are. But finally, for my thing, um, and we have the first step with Catherine, I want games that talk frankly about adult situations. I want ones that go beyond the chase. I want to see an actual relationship not just they get together and that's the end of it. Even if the story continues, they get together and that's where the like you don't see any more for the relationship. No, or the relationship just stays yeah. stagnant look, at this perfect yeah. happy. Relationships level. have yeah. issues. People have issues, and people who love each other have issues, and they, yeah, I mean, hopefully they work through them. But those issues need to be shown. Things aren't perfect. And showing that in a game and having you work through it in the game, like, this is... I mean, so many games talk about having adult content, but adult content for them means, oh, we're going to sex show sex. Time. We're not showing actual adult content, adult relationships. A relationship between two people, honestly, and showing that and having you work through that. And part of it's because video games are escapism. But if you're going to have games re showing relationships, this is something we should be touching on, and Catherine shows there's a niche for it. You might, I mean, I doubt you're gonna see this in AAA titles, but, like, but we should. there's room, there's room in the AA where, where Atlas is doing, doing Catherine, they were successful enough, there's definitely space if you, if you try. You just can't expect to make a billion dollars off of it. Keep your expectations mild. Well, Ronnie knows that once or twice a year I usually complain about how that's what I want in my anime, and that's why I don't watch too many shows uh, nowadays, because like, I want to see a relationship grow and change and mature, and how there's ebb and flow and all this stuff, and usually my favorite pairings are ones where I get to see that. As opposed to, yeah, we got together, the end. Yeah, I mean, it's, I would love to see that. I mean, hell, even include, you know, poly relationships, you know, oh, why not? It's, I you know, meant to mention that when I mentioned uh, bisexual and mm -hmm. gay, and then my brain just completely did not go there. It, it, I don't know about you, but when I played uh, Persona 4... I wished... Actually, that... You know, I feel kind of dumb that we never actually brought up that one, because you get to date people in that one, right, Ronnie? I'm sorry, I was looking at something. What did you say? Persona 4. Yeah, you know, you, like, date, yeah. People in all, you date people in all the Persona series, but uh, disappointingly, the only one where you can date a same-sex person is Persona 3, and that's only because the robot will date your character regardless. And I definitely wish that, like, because when I was playing Persona 4, I wanted my character to have a poly triad with, um, why can't I think of their darn names? Ronnie, you remember who they are. Like, Yankee kid who's 
not actually a punk and um, possibly trans male character. You are <laughs> giving me way too much credit because I do not remember their names, but I am Na- looking Nao- it up now. Naoki? No. Naoko and Kanji. Yes, there you go. Them. Yes, they were the best. I'm like, I love that I them Persona 4, but I because do not remember. I think they were kind of already crushing on each other, and then I wanted to totally get in there, because honestly, they were the two best characters in that game. And I'm sorry for anybody listening who's a huge fan of that and is screaming at the podcast of why can't they even do names. Well, I suppose this is part of also what I wanted to bring up as my other major point, which was uh, the fandom and shipping. That's a thing. Oh, that's a huge thing. <laughs> I shipped Zelda and Urbosa just because I saw how Urbosa was looking at Zelda when she was sleeping in her lap. That's all I based it on. <laughs> From Breath of the Wild, I should say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shipping is a, shipping's a thing in any fandom, really. Any media, whether it's television, movies, video games. Video games are not immune to people shipping things no no not at all and like that's i mean like i said talking romance and video games like we've we've talked about games that that integrate romance into the plot you have games where you have romance as an auxiliary thing where where you can make the choices and choose the people but players are always going to people are players are always going to see innuendos where there may not have intentionally been any and put these characters together because they would be the cutest ever. Yeah. It happens in every... Or man, they fight all the time, but wouldn't their hate sex be so good? Mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> right about it. I mean, hell, like, I'm pretty sure when all of us were younger, we probably saw some pictures of Cloud and Sephiroth. That was a thing. When I was 12, I act- I guess one couldn't say it was accidentally, but I didn't know what the term lemon was. And I read a story. <laughs> God damn it, Brian. What, what the hell was that, Brian? <laughs> so, this was back in the AOL days. I, I was like, oh, I'm going to read some Final Fantasy VII fanfiction. I like Final Fantasy VII. This was literally the first fanfic I'd ever read. It was called, like, A Night with Tifa, which really should have set me off. But I was 12, and I was innocent at the time, and I didn't Not think anymore. And I... <sighs> Here's the thing, I read the whole thing, but I got really sad after, and I don't think I cried, but, like, I was so affected by it. And not in, like, a, ooh, that was hot way, but, like, a, no, what did I do? What did I read? Why did I keep reading it? And really, it wasn't even, like, it was pretty vanilla and standard, but I shipped Cloud and Eris, so I was like, this is bullshit. (laughs) What is this? Like, I played, I mean, I, it's no secret, you know, I'm a massive Resident Evil fan. Uh, you get play the, that current game. Y- y- yes, we get the uh, Leon and Ada at the end, toward the end of Resident Evil 2. And then you have Resident Evil 4 come out, and Leon has to... Uh, constantly rescue the character Ashley. Yeah. Ashley. And so, back in the days when I was writing fanfic... By the way, who thought that was a good idea? Yeah, fuck her. I haven't played the game and I know fuck her. 
Yeah, just no. Blow on her toe and she dies. But, uh, you know, so I'm uh, back in my fanfic writing days, I was writing a novelization to Resident Evil 4. And I was trying to to play up a bit the the Leon Ada relationship because, you know, see Resident Evil 2. And I was getting comments on FFNet telling me as you know why aren't you you know doing going you know right more but like leon. ashley and leon forever yeah and I was, pure. I, I was i was getting into fierce aol debates uh you know no leon and Ad wrong wrong sir wrong you know see resident evil 2 play the damn game the ashley and Le eh, wrong no 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 and I was like the biggest Leon Ada defender ever. <laughs> Wrong. I like one of the your ship. Yeah, one of the few like really passionate that. Like, no, 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 no Ada Le. Uh, no, no Ashley Leon OTP. Sorry. Try again later. So, uh, fandoms. I love them, but I hate them. <laughs> then, uh, then don't go on Tumblr. Oh, I'm on there for South Park right now, and it's actually, like, weirdly healthy. Like, I haven't come across anything really terrible. Like, there might be drama for, like, a day, and then it goes away. And everyone's just, just like, this show's awesome. But okay, I, I, I have been part of that ones. I say, I think I think we're pretty much done here. I was gonna say if you had anything else you wanted to add, or are we, uh, are we uh, done with with? Uh, we're gonna wind this down. I think we're good. You think we're good? All right. So if you have any questions, comments, thoughts on this episode or any other episode of downloadable content. You can get a hold of us on our website, dlcpodcast.com. Click the feedback button. Let us know what you think. Give us your thoughts. Yell at us. Whatever. It's all good. Uh, every single episode can be found there as well as on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. It's all there for you, dlcpodcast.com. So all it remains for me to do is to thank Ronnie and Deja for being on this episode. So... This is like that. the couples episode because we're married. Yeah. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Yay. A winner is you. <laughs> I'm Brian. Have a good one, everybody.